welcome. Legally Brief presents the Child Athlete Abuse Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer, mother, and survivor. I work with competitive athletes and their families who are confronting abusive coaches. This podcast is for parents and athletes who are fed up, dealing with fear, and searching for answers. Every vacation, holiday, and most summer evenings, Abby remembers the Duncan family being present. The Duncans lived across the street from her family, and she played with their youngest daughters. They had been friends since kindergarten. The family carpooled together, went to soccer practice together, and even school. Abby considered Mr. and Mrs. Duncan family. She even called them aunt and uncle. Their youngest daughter, Katie, was one of her closest friends. Abby recalls that it must have been maybe uh, seven or eight months before her birthday that Mr. Duncan or Uncle Phil stopped by her bedroom as he left the house. The visit didn't seem strange at all, maybe just a little uncomfortable since the conversation focused almost exclusively on who Abby was dating and what she was doing with boys. Initially, Abby thought that her Uncle Phil was just being protective and probably asked the same questions of his own daughter, Katie. It was around her 13th birthday that her parents went to visit relatives and Abby was sent to spend the night at the Duncan's home. Like numerous sleepovers, both the girls, they had popcorn, they ate chocolate, and they fell asleep in front of the TV. Except this evening, Abby was awakened by whispers. She also felt a soft moisture in her ears. When Abby focused her blurry vision, she saw Uncle Phil silently kissing her ear and rubbing her chest underneath her t-shirt. If that wasn't strange enough, Abby was no longer laying on the couch next to Katie, but she was in their guest bedroom. Over the course of the next four years until Abby left for college, at almost every sleepover, whether it was a group, family, camping trip, any chance that Uncle Phil had, he cornered Abby, conjoled, and pushed her to find a way to isolate Abby so that he could either touch or kiss her. Each encounter with Uncle Phil left Abby spinning with rage. She felt shame and despair. Abby instinctively knew that if she told, she would ruin her family and ruin the bond that she had with her best friend. So from the moment Abby even entered high school, she rationalized that the only way she would escape was to go to college far away from Phil. Abby did go away to college. She studied, she had fun, she partied, she made new friends. Abby was determined. She didn't want to feel like that same shameful, dirty girl that she felt when she was with Phil. Although a lot of her romantic relationships suffered, she somehow continued to thrive and participate in the sport that she loved, volleyball. Abby had played volleyball competitively since middle school. Abby looked for opportunities at school to volunteer to get her mind off of the bad thoughts that she had in relation to Uncle Phil. Abby worked hard. She was dedicated. She was respected. And she eventually even became the captain of the volleyball team. However, in spite of all these accomplishments, Abby still felt like she was suffering inside. If you attended class with Abby, if you played with her on the volleyball team or even had a conversation, you may never know of the hurt and emotional injury that she kept hidden inside of herself. Resilience. Resilience is defined as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, to have toughness. It's the ability to have an object, a reason to spring back into shape. 
Another definition of resilience is to be psychologically resilient, which is the ability to mentally or emotionally cope with a crisis and to return to your pre-crisis state. When I think about these definitions of resilience and when I look at the story of Abby that was reported in a newspaper, I think about survivors of abuse. And it leads me to believe that survivors like Abby are resilient. Abby was not only able to cope with the abuse, keep silent and protect others that she loved for years. She also managed to do this while she was a vulnerable child. Even while living under these circumstances, Abby in large part returned to a pre-crisis state. And she did that even more after entering school with all of those new stressors. Like Abby, there are stories of cyclists, gymnasts, skaters, football players, soccer, track and field athletes who also fit the bill and the definition of resilience. And these individuals are doing this all the while they labor under the injuries of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. They manage to keep themselves together. And they keep themselves together because maybe the abuse is done by a coach, a friend, or in Abby's case, someone that she considered a relative. Why then, instead of celebrating survivors and automatically considering them resilient, we hear reports that survivors are shamed, considered weak, they encounter backlash, retaliation, and even ridicule when they come forward about abuse. It would seem that while we all work as a community to abolish abuse of athletes, we would also be grateful and welcoming of survivors. Instead, there are accounts of survivors who are worried. They keep silent because they don't want to be viewed as troublemakers or instigators. They don't want to be labeled or singled out as damaged. An athlete survivor who holds themselves out, who comes back, and who works to get better, they are far from damaged, and instead, they are resilient. This is the type of athlete, this is the type of person we want on our teams and we want in our community. We want to give these individuals that voice and that safety. Not until Abby was in her mid-40s did she fully disclose what her Uncle Phil had done. For so long, Abby had convinced herself that if she just kept quiet, the secret would die. But after Abby had put herself into therapy and learned that some of the destructive behaviors she had were directly linked to the years of abuse, did she start to heal. We know that abuse can have effects on the developing brain. Some of these effects have been categorized and called adverse childhood experiences. These experiences, they can range from physical abuse, they can include sexual or emotional abuse. They can have effects where a child can become hypersensitive to physical contact. They can have increased pain, whether that be pain such as asthma, skin problems, autoimmune disorders, and they can have difficulty describing their emotions, their wishes and desires. In the 1990s, there was a medical study that showed that early stressors, adverse experiences can also impact the development of the brain. Individuals who have been mistreated, it was shown that structures of the brain, sensory systems could be harmed. But beyond the science and the effects that abuse can have on a person, 
The law also recognizes and punishes individuals who physically abuse, mentally, or sexually abuse children. State laws recognize the abuse when an individual brings a lawsuit, but part of the difficulty of being abused when you're young is that you don't have the opportunity or you don't have the words to speak openly, or maybe it's not safe to speak about that, what's happened to you. It may even be a situation where when you're younger and even getting older as a survivor, you may not even understand what was happening and that it was sexual abuse. You may question, was that touch to parts of my body? Was that violence? Was it prohibited? Did I participate? The survivor may question, did I do something wrong? Likewise, in the context of competitive youth sports, a player or parent may not be totally aware just what is emotional abuse and if there's any remedy for a coach that repeatedly and violently crosses the line of and enters what the law would recognize as emotional and psychological abuse. To provide some general insight into what the law sees as emotional abuse, here are a few definitions. And these are general definitions of what the law recognizes to be emotional and sexual abuse. First, let's look at consent. So can a minor consent, a young athlete consent to different forms of abuse? And that's one of the first things that the law looks at. They look at the age, they look at whether the conduct between the two individuals, whether it was consensual, and this is consensual in the form of sexual abuse. Now, you can't consent as a general sense. Many states use the age of if you're less than 17 years old. You can't consent. There's also a lack of consent, and this may seem a little bit more obvious when it's the sexual act is forced or the individual is incapacitated. You also, the law will recognize that an individual did not consent and it is sexual abuse if it occurred when the individual was committed to the care and custody or supervision of, say, a hospital or some type of community corrections or supervision. Here's a general definition of sexual contact, and that means that it's touching of a sexual or other intimate part of a person for the purpose of gratifying sexual desire of either party. And it includes the touching of the actor by the victim and also the touching of the victim by the actor. So that means vice versa. It can go either way. And this touching can happen either directly or through the clothing. That's a general definition of what sexual contact is. What is sexual intercourse generally as defined under the law? That has the ordinary meaning and it will consider it will be considered to have occurred regardless of how slight the penetration is. There's another general definition that I'll share with you, and that's the definition in reference to emotional abuse and what that is. Emotional abuse would be any abuse that a reasonable person cannot tolerate. It's actions, it's words, it's harassment that's meant it's done for no legitimate purpose. And any individual, more or less a child, could not tolerate that and could not withstand. That's a general definition of what emotional abuse would be. There's also an action, 
against an individual if you if the person endangers the child, endangers that child's welfare. And that can be thought about when the actor engages in conduct that can cause injury to the physical, mental, or moral welfare of a child. Generally, the age is less than 17 years old. Or if the person, the perpetrator directs or authorizes that child to engage in any occupation or any activity that can cause substantial risk of danger to the child's health or life. Now, the law recognizes that the individual that can endanger a child, it could be a number of people. It can be a parent, it can be a guardian, or it can be any person who's legally charged with the care or custody of a child. And usually, like I said, a child is defined to be a person that's 17 years old or less or 18 years old or less. That's generally where states use those ages. So we know that both science, medicine, and the law recognizes several forms of de- several forms of abuse. Now, while the law is one way to protect and to make people aware when they break the law and harm others, you should know that if you believe that you've suffered an injury due to sexual, physical, or emotional abuse, you should contact someone to discuss that. Contact a trained professional, a support group, law enforcement, or a licensed attorney. There's no need to continue to suffer. While you are resilient, we all need help and we all need support to understand what happened and to move forward. So the next time you hear a story, maybe it's an online post about a survivor, I challenge all of us, I challenge you to find the resilience in that person's story. To think of that person not just as a survivor, think of them as resilient and strong. In fact, maybe we change the whole name, the label survivor, and maybe we just call these individuals resilient. We want to work toward changing the label and perception of survivors as damaged or troublemakers or instigators. We don't want survivors to stay quiet or to go away. We want a community mind shift where we see athletes who have survived abuse as truly determined people. We want to celebrate resilient athletes. Remember to share this episode. If there's anything that you found resonated with you that can be helpful to a family, friend, or an athlete, share the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe in the show notes. Visit my website where you'll find past episodes and information that can help answer questions, and provide options. One of my favorite places to connect with people is on Instagram. So go over to Instagram and follow me. You'll get information about upcoming shows and our Facebook Live that will be starting in March. Thank you for spending this time with me and take care. All information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.